Hey, good morning. Welcome to New Spring, third weekend service, soon to be four weekend services here. We're starting a brand new series called Blues, and I, it's, I've been looking forward to this for a long time because, frankly, blues is my favorite genre of music. I don't know exactly why. Maybe it's my southern roots coming out, or it's, it just could be. I just love the honesty, like the Buddy Guy song you just heard. I, I'm just trying to tell the truth every time I sing the blues. And the blues is primarily a gift given to us by, by people of African descent who uh, shamefully were brought to our, our nation to be slaves. And they just poured out their honest emotions, oftentimes in the fields. And, and from their honest, heartfelt sorrow, it, it gave us a marvelous gift. And, and, and being a musician, I love playing the blues. I listen to the blues every day. It's, it's my choice of music when I'm working out. I love blues songs and just love the honesty of it. And, and interestingly, it's not just a, a type of lyric. It's also a type, as you know, of music, and, and, and blues are instantly recognizable. And then even some blues songs are not necessarily negative. Um, my personal favorite blues song is from my favorite blues art, artist, Steve Ray Vaughan, and it's called Pride and Joy, and it's really a happy song. It's a song about love. It makes me think about Mary Alice every time I hear the song. And there's some songs that are blues songs that are kind of funny. I told Lance the quintessential blues song is a guy who was talking about trying to get away from a woman, and she wouldn't let him go, and he kept, she kept clinging to him. And so the, the name of the song is, How Can I Leave You If You're Gonna Come Too? And that's, uh, that, that's one of my favorites. But, but honestly, m- most, most blues songs come from experiences in life that just didn't work out. Maybe a relationship breakup, maybe not having enough money to get by, maybe just the pain of some almost undescribable depression. And out of that comes an honest piece of music that just pours out one's feelings. Hey, we're going to do something for the next four weeks that's really, really interesting. What we're going to discover is there was a blues singer in the Bible. He wrote blues music. His name is David, and he's a big man. And that's significant to me because there's a saying I, I use sometimes when things go wrong for me. I'll say it like this. Maybe you say it too. I'll say, it hurts too much to laugh. I'm too big to cry. But do we ever really get too big to cry? I don't think so. Whether we cry internally or externally, life will hand you some stuff that's just ugly enough and just painful enough, it'll cause you to cry. And this great man, David, even though he was at at his zenith, he was the most powerful man in the world. He was a man who wrote crying songs. In the Psalms, it's a big book in the middle of the Bible that many of us have seen, and and some of us maybe even shy away from the Psalms because we struggle to make sense of the poetry. But really, the the Psalms are are songs. These are lyrics to songs. And most of the Psalms are written by this guy named David. And here's what's interesting to me, and this is the point I want to get to, that in the Psalms, the songbook of the Bible, there are different kinds of Psalms. For instance, there are Messianic Psalms songs that are prophetic and they talk about Jesus. And obviously there are many praise songs that David wrote. But the largest group of songs David wrote were what we call lament, L-A-M-E-N-T, lament psalms. And the word lament, we probably don't use that word much anymore, but it means to cry. And, And think about that. This is the most powerful man in the world writing songs to God, and yet most of the songs he wrote were crying songs. And so what we're going to do for the next four weeks is we're going to explore four of these crying songs. But there's even more to it than that. Let me ask you a personal question. Have you ever had something really go badly in your life, and then there were people that just wanted to know the facts? Isn't that annoying? I mean, maybe it's not to you, but it is to me. 
I mean, because you're just trying to struggle to make it another day. And then there are people that they just want to know the facts. Inquiring minds want to know. And frankly, I think a lot of times, a lot of people are just nosy. And I know there are people who want to know the facts so that they can help or whatever, and that's wonderful. But I'm saying, I honestly think there are a lot of times when people just want to know the facts of what is going on in your life. And you tell them the facts, and what's the thing they want to say next? Well, I know how you feel. And you want to say, and maybe it's not, maybe it's just me, but here's what I want to say sometimes. You may know the facts, but you don't know how I feel. Because sometimes the facts are indisputable, but the feelings are sort of nebulous and vague. Isn't that true? I mean, isn't it true that many times when we're going through a hard time, we don't even know how to articulate our feelings. We have a hard time understanding how we feel ourselves. And you know the thing about facts is that all of us have to come together pretty much and agree. These are the facts. But feelings are a different thing. I mean, for one thing, you can't control your feelings a lot of times. What do you do with those feelings when life just goes crazy on you? How do you deal with that? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been in a circumstance, in a situation where it was like your feelings were all over the page. What do you do with those feelings? We're going to look at these situations because David wrote, like I said, about 50 of these crying songs. I looked at how many of these crying songs could be tightly associated with a specific situation in David's life. And I came up with four situations in David's life where the Bible in one part shows us the facts, But in the book of Psalms, David is writing a song that shows us his feelings. I think it's going to be a great experience for the next four weeks as we look at four situations in David's life. I'm doing it chronologically. So today, we're going to deal with something that happened early in David's life. And we can call this the blues for an innocent man or the blues for an innocent woman. You know, sometimes you get the blues because of self-created crises. We'll talk about that next week. Sometimes you get the blues because the relationship falls apart. We'll talk about that. But there are times in our lives when we get the blues because somebody just gets it in for us. An enemy comes out of nowhere. People start ripping us. We don't even know why they're ripping us. There are times when people start hurting us and we don't even know the people. Have you ever been in a situation where there were just mean people in your life, difficult people, maybe even unhinged people, and all of a sudden you just had a target painted on you and you're wondering, what in the world did I ever do? I mean, what did I ever do to you? I've done good things for you. I married your son. (laughs) And we'll we'll do something else on that one. (laughs) In just a few moments, I'm going to be in Psalm 35. And this is the blues for an innocent man. David is going to pour out his feelings to God. And we're going to see his feelings are all over the page. But how do you deal with it when somebody gets it in for you? And you're innocent. You haven't done a thing in the world to hurt them. But all of a sudden, they want to destroy you. Let's talk about the facts before we get to the feelings. In fact, if you want to read this, I'm just going to be able to give you a thumbnail sketch. If you want to read this when you go home today, you'll find this in 1 Samuel basically chapters 18 to 31. So you're going to see what we're going to talk about today. This guy who gets it in for David, it lasted a long time and pretty well messed up a lot of David's youth. Before I get there, I need to give you a little history. Would you grant me just a little bit of latitude so that I can give you a little history lesson? Because it'll make sense when we get, we get to the point. Long before David was born, God basically said to his nation Israel, I'll be your king. You don't need a king. I'll be your king. I'll take care of you. I'll defeat your enemies. I'll provide your needs. I'll take good care of you. I'll be your king. Sounds very attractive to me to have God as my king. That's why I look forward to the millennium. We'll talk about that someday. 
Having God for a king, awesome. And God chose men and women to be judges. And, and these individuals basically became the figurehead leader for the nation. But basically, they were just conduits of relaying what God wanted his people to know. And great men and women filled that role. And when David was a young man, the person who was filling that role was, filling that role was a man named Samuel. And when you open your Old Testament to 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, a couple of books back there, that's the guy we're talking about. He was a wonderful, wonderful, godly man. What is, it with, what is it with us that we crave celebrity, that we enjoy looking up to people? There's something in the human spirit that's just warped, and we love celebrity. And the people of Israel were, were dealing with that because what they noticed was there were other nations who, frankly, were not as well off as Israel, but they had kings. And if they had a parade day or if they had a festival, that king would strut out there in all of his magnificent robes. And the people of Israel said, we'd like to have that. We're sort of missing something. And so they went to Samuel and they said, we want a king so that we can be like other nations. Samuel was really disheartened by that. And he went to God and said, God, I don't understand. And God says, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. And this is really powerful. God said, give them their king. And Saul became the first king of Israel. When, and Saul was nothing special. He was chasing donkeys when, when Samuel found him. But God just gave him the ability, the mental ability to be a king. And for a while, he did all right. But he was the people's choice. He wasn't God's choice. Saul looked good on the outside, but he was freaking messed up on the inside. Refer to our, refer to our last November series. And the issue that Saul had was pride. Now, there came a point where Saul had just decided too many times that he would do things his way, and God said, I've had enough, and I'm getting rid of this guy. And God said to Samuel, here's what I want you to do. And in those days, forgive me for breaking a sentence, the kings were anointed, they would have oil poured on their heads. And God said to his prophet Samuel, get your, get your oil, I want you to go down to Bethlehem and anoint a new king. And Samuel saying, God, there's a little problem with that because there's a king on the throne right now. And God said, I've forgotten about him. And this is what's really interesting, and you need to file this away. It'll be important for the next three weeks. God said to Samuel, this time, it's my guy. The first time, I gave the people their guy. This time, it's my guy. I got a guy that is like me. He thinks the way I think. Go down to Bethlehem. He's the son of this guy named Jesse. So Samuel just gets his oil. He goes down to Bethlehem. He calls everybody out, and he says, we got this special convocation kind of deal going on. Jesse, you need to bring all your boys. Well, Jesse's got eight sons. The only thing is, he's just sure that whatever God wants with his boys, he definitely doesn't want the run of the litter. He definitely does not want the youngest one. And somebody's got to watch the sheep. So Jesse said, okay, all the first seven boys, you guys go with me. David, you stay out here and watch the sheep. Samuel knows none of that. He just knows he's there. He's got his oil. There's Jesse. He's got seven boys. And sure enough, the first one, boy, the oldest son of Jesse was tall and good looking. And Samuel thought, boy, this has got to be the one. And he had the oil up ready to pour it on his head. And God said, nope, don't want him. Got one like him already. He's not what I'm interested in. <laughs> I remember many years ago when I was in Texas, there was a, a, a gasoline station that I, I did business with, and right behind the cash, cash register, they had framed a counterfeit $20 bill, and right below that, they had written, no thanks, we already have one. <laughs> and I think that's what God was saying to Samuel, no thanks, I already got a counterfeit, don't want him. And so Samuel went to the next one. God said, don't want him, don't want him, don't want him, don't want him. 
And he goes through all seven boys, and God said, we don't want him. And Samuel's thinking to himself, I don't know, am I getting senile? Am I missing something? I thought God sent me here and said to anoint a king, and all of a sudden, you know, nothing's working. Jesse, you have any more boys? Oh, yeah, we got the youngest, but we don't expect much out of him. Samuel said, go get him. And it must have been a wonderful moment when Samuel first locked eyes with this kid, this teenage boy, coming in from the fields. And God said, that's the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil and poured it on David's head. The only thing is, he didn't go straight to the palace. By the way, have you ever been in a situation where everybody thought you were fantastic, and then you had to go home and somebody was telling you to pick up your underwear? (laughs) I mean, David has to go back to the sheep. I mean, you know, God's judge just poured oil on his head, and it was very clear, you're the next king. He goes back to the sheep. Pretty quiet existence. Time rocks on. I've got to tell you this story quickly. Many of you know it already. But in case you don't, let me just tell you what happens next. Israel at that point, under Saul, was having to fight their chief nemesis, the Philistines. They were the toughest military force in the world at that time because God had taken his hand off Saul. And, and the Philistines, they lived by the ocean. They were powerful fighters. Many of them were very big in stature. They had, they had the most sophisticated military weaponry of the times. And Israel was getting kicked around by a football by the Philistines. There was one Philistine who was really tall, and he was really a very powerful man. His name was Goliath, and Goliath would come out and flip Israel off every day in an embarrassing kind of way. He, he would basically say this. And, you know, have you ever had somebody be nasty nice? You know, on the surface they're being nice, but you know behind them they're being nasty. And that's what Goliath would do. He'd come out and he'd say, you know, that we don't need to fight, have all this carnage and all these dead bodies and people suffer. We don't need to do that kind of thing. Why don't we just settle this? You send your best guy out and I'll fight him man to man. And if your guy wins, your whole side wins. If I win, my side wins. And everybody takes a look at this mammoth gargantuan guy and, and they're shaking in their tents, you know. People said, give us a king. There's Saul. He's seven feet tall. He's a center for an NBA team, but he's back there in his tent, and he's not going to go out and fight Goliath. About this time, Jesse says to David, you need to go take some food to your brothers. And what a time. I mean, back in those days, the families, it was up to them to provide provisions for for their own military, you know, for family members who were military. And Jesse said to David, I want you to take this food to your brothers. And David walks right into the camp just as this Goliath is making his daily speech. And David said, you know, shouldn't something be done about this guy? I mean, sh- should this guy be allowed to talk like this? I mean, after all, we are the army of God and everything, you know? I- isn't there somebody who's going to do something about this? And David's older brother, remember the one that Samuel wanted to anoint, and God said he's not the one? His older brother said, hey, you, you, you just came here to see the fight. Well, frankly, there wasn't much fight going on. And he said, you, you, you're just too proud. Get back there with the sheep. Get back, honky cat. And, and David said, I'm not going to do that. There's a cause here. And so the word came to Saul, King Saul, that there was somebody there who was ready to fight the giant. And so Saul, I'm sure, thinking to himself, well, there must be some big, tall kid from the country that just wandered in here. So Saul comes out, and there's this boy standing there. And Saul is saying, son, you're going to get killed, but at least put my armor on. Well, Saul's a big, tall guy. They put the armor on David, and he's walking around like this, and he's saying, no, I can't do that. And in time, you can read all about this in 1 Samuel. 
David walks out into the valley to go head to head with Goliath. And when Goliath sees him coming, he thinks he's being dissed. And he says, he's sending a kid out to fight me? And he starts cursing David. And David says, you come to me with sword and spear, but I'm coming to you in the name of my God. And about that time, he reaches into his pouch where he's got a rock, and David's got this sling that he's been honing out there. You know, he can, hit the, he can take the left eye out of a gnat at 50 paces. And David's got this slingshot wound up, and he lets it go, and it sinks right into the glass forehead. And you know the old saying, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And then David, take, to add insult to injury, David takes Goliath's sword out and cuts the guy's head off, holds up his head. Sorry to be grotesque, but it's in the Bible. Holds up the guy's head, and Israel goes berserk, and they chase the Philistines all the way back to their towns. Cool stuff. This time, David doesn't go back to the sheepfold. Saul takes a look at David and said, hey, buddy, you're my guy. And in one day, in 24 hours, David goes from being a shepherd, a nondescript shepherd out in the fields, to being the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and Saul places David over the entire army. And the whole country of Israel thinks it's a marvelous thing. All the soldiers love fighting for David because he's motivational, he's inspirational, he's charismatic, he's magnetic. And most of all, David was one of the kind of leaders that we're going to see. He set the example himself, and he got people to follow him. Time out. Have you ever had someone just become your enemy for no good reason at all? And you're scratching your head thinking, what did I ever do to her? What did I ever do to him? I don't understand. Have you ever had that happen to you? Here's the thing. If you haven't, you will. Someday somebody's just going to get in for you. I mean, after all, I mean, we live in a world of some crazy people out there. There's some people that just, you know, aren't, aren't tethered to reality. And there are some mean people out there, but we're going to ask ourselves at some point, why does this person have it in for me? You ready for this? It's real simple. All you have to do to have enemies is have more, know more, or do more. If you have more or know more or do more, you will have some enemies come out of nowhere. And you say, well, Mark, I don't feel that way. I have more because of God's grace. I know more because of God's wisdom. I do more because of God's power. And I don't take any credit for any of that. I know that and you know that, but they won't know that. In fact, the irony is they will look at you and say, What's so hot about her? What's so great about him? Why do they have this stuff? What kind of mojo do they have working? And all of a sudden, you have somebody against you. Well, you know, David now, he's leading the armies, and they're going out to battle, and God's hand is on David, and David is fighting these great battles, and they're winning. And one day, David is coming back into the city after a successful military foray, and the women have lined the streets of the city. And in those days, if an army lost, it could be very brutal for the women. And so the women were there. They were clapping. and I mean, these were their guys that had gone out, and they had protected the city and protected the people, and they started singing songs. Now, Saul loved the first verse of the song. It was a catchy tune. It's going to be a big hit. Because the women were singing, Saul has killed thousands. And Saul was thinking, wow, that's great. It's that second verse that gets you every time. Last night in the service, I was walking in to the door, and I saw a friend of mine. He said, Mark, I love that shirt. And then he said, I wish I had the courage to wear something like that. 
It's the second verse that will mess with you every time. Because the women were singing, Saul has killed his thousands, and then the second verse was, David has killed his ten thousands. Have more, no more, do more. And the Bible says from that moment on, Saul hated David. First of all, he tried some created, sophisticated ways to get rid of him. Then he just became so unhinged one day, while David was actually playing music to try to help Saul through a difficult time with his mind, Saul picked up a sword, or excuse me, a javelin, and tried to pin David to the wall with it. And at that moment, David knew he needed to get out of town. And for the next several years, Saul would hunt David down. And you can read about this. Saul took thousands of men and tried to trap David and kill him. And David was always trying to stay on the run just one step ahead of Saul. It's a long story. There are a lot of ins and outs to it. But we're getting very close to the moment when David wrote the blues song from Psalm 35. Let me tell you about the moment. It's not pretty. Saul is chasing David. David's only just a few yards ahead of him, basically. And David goes into a cave with his men to hide from Saul in the hopes that they will go past him and not realize that they have been right where David was. So David and his men are just trying to stay quiet in the cave. And of all things, Saul happens to walk right into that cave. But he is all by himself because, quite candidly, he is there to relieve himself. It is an extraordinarily vulnerable moment, shall we say. And David's men see what's going on because a few steps away, there is Saul. He has no idea David and his men are in the cave. And they're saying, David, this is a God thing. Think about it, boy. God has brought your enemy right in here. You can fix this thing. You can kill this rascal. And we'll go home and everything will be just fine. And David creeps up behind Saul with his sword. But instead of cutting Saul's head off, he just cuts off a piece of Saul's robe because he wanted him to know he could have killed him, and he didn't. I've always wanted to know, what was he feeling at that moment when he could have taken vengeance, and he didn't? You ready to go to work with me for a few moments? Because I'm going to back away from giving a talk, and you and I are going to work through this blue song, because in this blue song, David is going to pour out his feelings. I just gave you the facts. We now know the facts of the story. But what was, what was going on inside of this man? What were these blues of the innocent man? What was he feeling, and what did he tell God during this time? You ready? Let's go to Psalm 35. There's five things real, real quickly I want to show you here in this psalm. The first thing that we see is David was telling God what these people were doing to him. Let's go through this quick. Verse 1, he said they were hecklers. I'm reading out of the message paraphrase. He said they were hecklers. Verse 1, also they were bullies. Verse 4, he said they're trying to knife me in the back. They're plotting my downfall. Verse 7, out of sheer cussedness, they set a trap to catch me. For no good reason, they dug a ditch to stop me. Verse 11, hostile accusers appear out of nowhere. They stand up and badger me. And here's the thing. It wasn't just Saul against David. Saul was still a powerful man. So anybody who wanted to kiss up to Saul was doing their best to inform on David and create difficulty. In verse 15, he said, all the nameless riffraff of the town come chanting insults about me. And many of us know what verse 16 is all about. Like barbarians desecrating a shrine, they destroyed my reputation. 
Have you ever had anyone lie about you? I mean, just tell stuff that wasn't true. And the whole reason why they did it, they just wanted to destroy your reputation. Now, here's the thing that amazes me. David is just pouring this out to God. You know, isn't it true that a lot of times we complain to people who can't do anything about it? But I think the powerful thing about singing a blues song to God is you are talking to somebody who can do something about it. And David, instead of talking to his men and talking to his family and telling his blues to anybody who would listen to him, David takes the blues straight to God. And David says, God, look at what they're doing to me. They're harassing me. They're heckling me. They're bullying me. They set traps for me. They're trying to wreck my reputation. They're telling lies about me. God, this is what people are doing to me. And there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with that. The second thing that I notice is David is saying, God, I don't understand. I don't understand why. I can't make any sense out of this. Look at what David says. I'm going to go to verse 12. He said, they pay me back misery for mercy. David was saying, God, I don't understand. When these people were in trouble, I was merciful to them. But instead of giving mercy back to me, they're paying me back with misery. In verse 13, when they were sick, I dressed in black. Instead of eating, I prayed. My prayers were like lead in my gut, like I'd lost my best friend, my brother. I paced distraught as a motherless child, hunched and heavy-hearted. But when I was down, they threw a party. David was saying, God. And and, and you you can read about this. Saul had some real issues going on in his life, emotional and some mental disturbance and things. And David was saying, God, I don't understand this. When he was sick, I prayed for him. He said, God, I was so worried about him, it just tore my insides up. I, I couldn't even eat. I fasted and prayed for him. And, and David is saying, God, I don't understand. I, I love this guy, and I prayed for him. But when I was down, he threw a party. He feasted. Mm. In verse 20, he said, God, I don't understand. They spend all their time cooking up gossip against those who mind their own business. David said, I don't talk about them but they talk about me. That's tough. And I don't know how many that resonates with, but I can tell you that resonates with me because oftentimes some people that I've helped the most have been some of the same people who turned around and tried to knife me in the back. And I think, this, I think Satan knows that. Just as you have a God who loves you, you have an enemy who hates you. And I think the one thing he wants to do more than anything else is discourage you to the point of quitting. And if there's one thing that will cut your heart out, it is loving somebody and serving them and caring for them and to have that same person turn around and act as if you don't matter at all when you have trouble or maybe even create your trouble. But again, David didn't tell on his neighbor. He's not telling his friends. He's telling God, God, here's what they did to me. And God, I can't figure it out. This is crazy. I can't figure out this at all. Well, this may stretch you a little bit because now David is going to tell God what he would like to see God do about this. Now, in verse 24, he'll say, do what you think is right. (laughs) But most of this chapter is David saying, God, I've got some suggestions of what I would like to see you do to these people. For some of you hyper-spiritual people, this is going to stretch you a little bit. Verse 1, he said, harass these hecklers. And David is saying, they're heckling me. God, I'd like for you to harass them, if you don't mind. Uh, God, punch these bullies in the nose. Grab a weapon, verse 2. Anything at hand. Stand up for me. Remember what I told you a few moments ago about what Saul did, throwing the spear at David? Verse 3, God says, David says, God, get ready to throw the spear at the people who are out to get me. Reassure me, let me hear you say I'll save you. Verse 4, when those thugs try to knife me in the back, make them look foolish. Frustrate all those who are plotting my downfall. 
make their road lightless and mud slick with God's angel on their tails. Verse 8, surprise them with your ambush. Catch them in the very trap they set, the disaster they planned for me. Verse 17, God, how long are you going to stand there and do nothing? Save me from their brutalities. Verse 19, don't let all these liars, my enemies, have a party at my expense. Those who hate me for no reason, winking and rolling their eyes. Verse 22, don't you see what they're doing, God? You're not going to let them get by with it, are you? Not going to walk off without doing something, are you? Please get up. Wake up. Tend to my cause or my case. My God, my Lord, my life is on the line. Do what you think is right, God, my God, but don't make me pay for their good time. Don't let them say to themselves, ha we got what we wanted. Don't let them say, we chewed him up and spit him out. Let those who are being hilarious at my expense be made to look ridiculous. Make them wear donkey's ears. Pin them with the donkey's tail who made themselves so high and mighty. But those who want the best for me, let them have the last word. A glad shout and say over and over, God is great. Everything works together for good for his servant. And David is saying, God, now you do what you want to do, but I do have some thoughts. I know we're in the sappy American culture today where we're saying, I can't believe David would pray like that. I want to tell you something. God takes it real seriously when somebody does damage to an innocent person. And some of you are here today and you've really been damaged and you were innocent and you didn't do anything about it and you're thinking, and here's the thing I hear sometimes, Mark, and, and oftentimes it goes like this, I cannot forgive this person because they'll get off scot-free. I want to tell you something. Anyone who hurts an innocent person is not going to get off scot-free. This is in the Bible. This is in the Word. And David is saying, God, you do what you want to do, but if you want some suggestions, here's what I'd like to see you do. But now here's the thing that amazes me, and this is what I want to get to today. Why didn't David do that? Notice David didn't say, God, he threw a spear at me, I'm going to throw a spear at him. God, they hurt me, I'm going to hurt them. God, they lied about me, I'm going to lie about them. God, they gossiped about me, I'm going to gossip about them. Do you notice that's absent? David isn't doing that at all. In fact, when he had a chance to kill Saul, he didn't. And I'm wondering, what was he feeling? And I want to get to the most important part of today's talk, because in the middle of this psalm, we learn. We learn what David was feeling when he had a chance to get vengeance on his enemy and he walked away. This is huge. Verse 9. You know, David has just said, God, punch him in the nose. Throw a spear at him. <laughs> Verse 9. But let me run loose and free, celebrating God's great work. Every bone in my body laughing, singing, God, there's no one like you. You put the down and out on their feet and protect the unprotected from bullies. What David is saying, God, I, I don't want to get caught up in the vengeance trap because if I do, I won't be free anymore. I won't be who I am. I won't be a singer. I'll turn into a fighter. And God, I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to hurt innocent people myself. So here's the thing, God, would you fight for me so I can keep being free to sing and praise your name? I'm a singer. I'm a lover. I'm not a fighter. God, you be the fighter so I don't have to be different from who I am. In this thing about blues of an innocent man, I've been there before. I think some of you men and women have been there before too. Everything cries out for you to get even, but if you try to get even, it will make you bitter, and you won't like the person you become very much. And David was saying, I don't want that to happen to me. God, you fight so I can sing. You take up my cause so I can be free to think about other things. And isn't that true? 
When someone hurts you, if you know that God's going to deal with them, can't you just get on with your life at that point and say, hey, I'm not going to get caught up in the vengeance trap. I don't have to think about them. Hey, you know what? When people have hurt you and, and you're so free that you can just turn it over to God, what's cool about that at that moment is you will not get caught in the trap that enslaves so many people. The final thing that we see in this chapter is what David promises to do if God will answer his prayer. And I'll give you this real quickly. In verse 18, he said, I'll give you full credit when everyone gathers for worship. And David was saying, God, when you bring me out of this and I get together at New Spring and I start singing with everybody else when Lance is leading the band, I'm going to give you credit for the fact that you brought me out of this. And then finally, verse 28, I'll tell the world how great and good you are. My favorite line from the psalm. I'll shout hallelujah all day, every day. And it happened. David didn't get vengeance, and even for a long time after he wrote this song, Saul still chased him. But there came a day when Saul went out to fight, and he died of a horrible death. The irony is, David led a group to reclaim his body, or else his, Saul's body would have been desecrated. Isn't it interesting that David was even good to Saul after he died? In fact, later on, there would be a time after, long after Saul's death that David would say, is there anybody else in Saul's family that I can be good to? And after Saul died, the people came to David and they said, you're our new king. It's a powerful thing when God's people sing the blues to him. Instead of taking matters in their own hands, they pour out their heart to God and let God take care of things. And that's when it works out right. Let's pray. Father, I don't know where this message touches anyone here today except for myself. But I can testify that you've been faithful in my life in this matter. Father, if there's anyone who's just torn up on the inside with bitterness and vengeance today because in innocence they've been hurt, help them to release that and to become a singer again so that you can fight and take up their cause. And Lord, if I'm talking to somebody here today who's in the worst part of it, and someone is hurting them and out to get them, Lord, would you just give them peace like David had in knowing that they're so free to pour out their feelings to you and that you can bear them and you can take them. Oh God, I pray for your help today in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you pray with me for one more moment? We just prayed a prayer in Jesus' name. And even though we've talked about David, the important person that is more important than anyone else is Jesus. And the reason why he's important is that it's through Jesus that God made a way for us to have an eternal relationship with him. The Bible tells us it's our sins that separate us from God, but God placed our sins on Jesus. And that's why we have the symbol of the cross, because it was on the cross that Jesus died, not for his sins, but for yours and mine. And anyone who will put confidence and faith in Jesus the Bible says their sins are washed away, and God adopts them into their family, into his family, and they become God's children. And it's not by joining a church, it's not by being good, it's not by giving money, it's in receiving God's gift of eternal life. And maybe for, the, for someone here today, in the last few seconds, you've, you've finally understood what God wants from you, which is just to receive his gift, and you're ready for that. You may not understand everything about it, but you're saying, I would love to have Jesus in my life. I would love to have an eternal relationship with God. Would you be willing to ask for it? I'm going to pray a prayer that just asks for that relationship, and you can repeat it after me. 
And it won't matter the words you're saying. What matters is what you feel. So I'm going to pray this slowly so that you can think about every word and every line. And if you're ready to invite Jesus into your life, would you do that with me? You ready? Here we go. Dear God, I know I've sinned. I agree with you that I'm a sinner. But I believe Jesus died in my place to pay for my sins. I turn from my old way of life, and it's my desire to follow Jesus. Thank you for giving me the greatest gift in the universe. In Jesus' name, amen.